I had the privilege of hearing that twice. Joshua, beautiful, both times. Well, it's a privilege to be with you this morning from this vantage point again. Um, And it has been four times that I've actually preached here. Before I was a member here, when I was still a pastor at Pioneer, but I guess Andy has been doing something else. Or they weren't memorable. (laughs) I didn't remember. But anyway, it's good to be here this morning. Um, As I was thinking about what to preach on this morning, I have, um, over the last few months, I've had to spend 400 hours in what's called clinical pastoral education. So it's CPE for short. And it's where pastors work at a hospital and so that we can develop skills better skills in helping people, and those skills transfer into everyday life in the conversations that we have with people. And I chose to do that because of the pastors that I serve. I work with pastors and chaplains all across North America, and so wanted to have a deeper understanding of some of the issues that they had to deal with. So 400 hours is a chunk of time. And as I was joining the clinical pastoral education group, I wanted to somehow show them that even though I hadn't been a campus, even though I hadn't been a hospital chaplain, I still had connections with the hospital. And I'd also spoken for a mission Sabbath at Hinsdale and had reflected on what did I know about hospitals? And so to open this sermon, I'm going to share with you what my introduction was at that time about my connection with hospitals. And I think there's pieces that you will be able to identify with as well. First of all, I was born in a hospital. It was in Trinidad, West Indies. I was one month premature. The nurses told my mother that I was the ugliest baby that they had ever seen. Thank you for being so sympathetic. My mother left the hospital without permission, but I'll let you know she took me with her, regardless of what they had said. My mother did her nurse's training in England and then at Branson Hospital in Toronto. She worked at Branson Hospital for decades until she had a stroke which robbed her of her identity as a nurse. Mom became a nurse because she was a woman of compassion. In 2003, my mother died of a heart attack. My dad was head of the respiratory therapy department at Scarborough Centenary Hospital in Scarborough, Ontario. My dad had compassion for his patients. In fact, he had so much compassion that one of the stories about what he did was written in our local, in the Toronto paper. Um, There was a man who was in the hospital on oxygen and his family really wanted him to come home for a celebration, but he couldn't leave the hospital without oxygen. So my dad, on his own time, went with the man, taking all of the oxygen equipment to his house so the man could be part of that family celebration. My dad took an early retirement when my mother had had her stroke so that he could take care of her. And my dad died in 2008 following a reoccurrence of cancer. As a high school student, I worked two summers in housekeeping in the hospital. For good or for ill, those two summers set the course of my life. One was I was determined I would never work in a hospital. Number two, do you know what camp pitch is? 
you know, some of you have gone to camp meeting, but as pastors, we always had to show up a week before our members arrived to get everything clean. Well, I, no matter what conference I've worked in, I've always ended up being in charge of housekeeping. Now, there's two, this was to the delight of our administrators, but to the dismay of those who were under my supervision, because I had very high standards of what it meant to be clean. Couldn't just look clean, it had to be clean, because in the hospital, it, they would come around and take swabs off of the sinks and everywhere else, and you couldn't, and then they would grow those cultures and it could grow harmful things. In fact, when I was in high school, there was a woman who was fired because she wasn't really cleaning the rooms. It might look clean, so she wouldn't bother cleaning it. When if you took a swab and grew the culture, a patient could get very sick and even die from some things. So I had very high standards of what it meant for things to be clean. In fact, there was one conference where I worked, and I won't tell you which one it was, but when the campers came, they thought they'd gotten new bathrooms. All we had done is cleaned them really well. More credentials. I have spent hours in the emergency department. I've been an advocate, a food deliverer, a transportation provider, a prayer, a hope giver, a comforter, a shoulder. I've prayed with anesthesiologists and surgeons, with nurses and patients in pre-op. I've sat for longer than expected hours with families in the surgical waiting room. I've anxiously huddled in a conference room with a family waiting for the words to reveal what the surgeon's face was hiding. I've hidden my tears and I've let them flow. I've delivered flowers, balloons, stuffed animals and chocolate. I've held a hand, squeezed an arm, smoothed a brow and tweaked a toe. I've caused a giggle, a laugh. I've brought back sweet memory. I've been an instrument in creating a willingness to forgive and I have seen reconciliation. I've prayed, I've sung only to people that are in a coma. I have begged God, I have wished for a magic wand. I've retrieved paper towels and used them to turn on the faucet, to wet my hands, applied the soap, washed my hands for as long as it takes to sing happy birthday twice. I've dried my hands, used the paper towels to turn off the faucet. I've opened the door. I've tossed the paper towel into the wastebasket. I've also missed the wastebasket. For those of you that don't know, that's the protocol when you're in the hospital of how you're supposed to wash your hands. I've gowned up, masked up, and gloved up. I've been bled on, coughed on, vomited on, sputumed on, and bedpan spilled on. I've gagged, I've retched in the corner. I've gotten my flu shot. I've donated 28 pints of blood. I've wiped off tray tables, watered plants, cleaned up spills, fluffed pillows, combed hair, applied makeup, given manicures, I've kissed a hand, a forehead, and a boo-boo. I've found the kitchen and retrieved a straw and given a littered cup of water to a patient. I've used a sponge to moisten the mouth of a person who could no longer drink. I've found the blanket warmer and tucked a blanket around a patient 
in the same manner I would comfort a little child. I've been shown scars on almost every part of the body. I've covered nakedness. I've listened to the slowing, inconsistent beeping of the heart monitors. I've heard them stop. I've strained to hear another beep, another breath that did not come. I've run to get a nurse when an IV came loose. I've walked softly when a family was saying goodbye. I've sat and listened and learned. I've been honored as I've shared the end of the journey. I've heard the last gasp. I've heard the last word. I've pointed people to the Lord who will indeed have the last word. Who am I? I'm a pastor, a hospital worker, a church member, a daughter, a wife, a mother. I am a part of God's body that he wants to use to touch others so that they can become whole. Let's pray. Dear God, as we look at your scripture this morning, we recognize, especially from the stories of the Gospel of Luke, that you are a healer, not just a physical healer from the ailments of this world, but you came to heal us spiritually. And you've invited us on that journey that we can have a part in helping to make the world whole. So be present through the words that I speak. God, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to you and your mission. In your name I pray, amen. amen. The book of Luke is filled with medical stories for a very good reason, because it was Dr. Luke that wrote these stories. And so I focused on these scriptures um, where Marlene read to us today, really focused on the word touch. Jesus could have healed people just by speaking his words, but he actually touched people in the stories that we chose for the scripture reading. He laid hands on every one of them, the scripture says, and he healed them. He put his hand out and he touched the leper, somebody that people wouldn't want to touch. They wouldn't even want to breathe the air that the leper breathed. But Jesus touched that leper. To a widow, Jesus said, do not weep. And he followed it with an action. He touched the open coffin. The Jewish people would never touch a coffin. They wouldn't want to be around the dead person. But Jesus touched that coffin, and he said, Young man, arise. In the middle of the crowd, Jesus asked, Who touched me? Somebody touched me. He perceived power going out from him. So in a sense, we look at and we see, Who did Jesus allow to touch him? And then whom did Jesus touch? He recognized that power had gone from him, so in a way, he touched her back. The synagogue ruler's daughter had died. Jesus took a dead person again, touching her by the hand, and told her, little girl, arise. Across the generations and the genders, Jesus was involved in helping to make people be whole. As I was focusing on the word touch, I wrote it out, and I noticed something very interesting that maybe you have noticed too about the word. The word touch, if we don't have the letter T, it is just an ouch. 
The world is full of these ouches that people have in their lives. And so the sermon is the power of tea to make people whole. This morning, I'm gonna to talk to you about some words that begin with the letter T that will help to make people whole. I'll come back to this at the end of the sermon, but there's also an acronym to think about the word touch. It's, it's to offer an unhesitating Christian hand. To offer an unhesitating Christian hand. My husband helped me come up with that. Ron, thank you very much. But we're gonna look at some ouches that people have in their lives. Now we associate the word ouch with physical pain. We say ouch when we hurt. Sometimes when children are younger, like my daughter, if she was in pain, would actually say, it's okay, honey, just go ahead and say ouch. And the, the childhood word for ouch is owie, owie, owie. Sometimes we can see the cause of someone's pain. We see an open wound, we see a broken arm, we can see a bulge or a finger where the skin has been ripped off. And with today's technology, we can see a tumor, a herniated disc, or an inflamed appendix. With a casual glance, we cannot see the cause of emotional and spiritual pain. It's still an ouch, but people don't walk around with a visible band-aid or a brace on them or crutch that says, ouch, I'm hurting. You know, the church is like a hospital. The hospital is for people who are physically sick. The church is for me, it's for you, because we are spiritually sick and we know that we need a physician and we need somebody to help us. So we're going to explore the power of the letter T to transform an ouch. The power that T can make to make people whole Positive touch can be demonstrated in many ways, but it always involves some type of action. And touch is another word for compassion. I'm gonna share with you seven words that begin with the letter T. There's many more words, but my husband always reminds me that nobody minds if the sermon is shorter. But I invite you today, at your, as you're eating dinner with your friends or family, think of some words that begin with the letter T that are really a positive way that we can touch people's lives. And to be honest, some of these words I've stretched a little bit in their meaning to meet my purpose, but for the letter T. But just join me on that journey. When we put these T words into action, we can change the ouch into something better. These T, word, these T words are a way of touching someone's life and often our own life as we practice them as well. The first word is tenderness. I do do a lot of flying, and on this particular trip, I was on a Delta flight, which is my um, airline of choice. I think it doesn't matter which airline you are loyal to, they're always good to you. Anyway, I was on a Delta flight, and I was sitting beside a couple who were returning from the man who was having cancer treatment. And you know, when you've had a bout of chemo, if you've known anybody that has, it's kind of a really, you can have a low time. And he was in a very low time. This was summer when we were traveling, which meant that the air conditioning on the plane was in full force and everybody was cold. That's what I hate about air conditioning in the summer. We're too cold. But this man was especially cold with the chemo treatment he'd gone through. We were not sitting in first class, so we didn't have blankets provided to us. But we flagged down the flight attendant and said, you know, he's really cold. Do you have any blankets that we can share with him? All the blankets were being used. 
But the flight attendant came back with her own sweater and gave it to the man so that he could be warm. That was a touch of tenderness that she showed to this man and was much appreciated. Um, I did um, contact Delta. I sent them an email to let them know about this act of compassion and tenderness that this woman had shown to the man by giving him her own sweater. And by the way, you know, it is really good to catch people doing something good and then to let their boss or their supervisor know. I know when I'm at Walmart or another store, I, if somebody has gone out of their way to help me, when I'm at the cash register, I'll often say, can you get a supervisor for me or the manager? And you see they get really tense because <laughs> they think there's something wrong. And then the manager comes out and they're ready for battle or ready for whatever. So I often say, don't worry, I'm here to pass on a compliment. And many stores will have a way that they reward their employees for doing something positive. So this flight attendant showed an act of tenderness. When we display the touch of tenderness, Jesus can begin to make people whole. Trust is my second word. Trust your instincts. Sometimes God will give us creative ideas and we're not always sure, like, is this from God or is this just something that's in my head? But a friend said to me, if you get a creative idea to do something, if it is not immoral, just go ahead and do it. So trust your instincts. When I was pastoring um, at Sligo Church, um, a woman made an appointment for me to go to her house. And I learned at, in that city, it's not a small town like Varian Springs, there were members from all over. But I had learned that to call ahead, even if that person had made the appointment. So I called ahead to the house, and the husband answered the phone. And I said, hello, this is Pastor Esther from Sligo Church, and I have an appointment to visit with your family. Wanted you to know that I'd be there in 20 minutes. He said, well, a pastor is coming over. And I said, yes, and I'll be there in 20 minutes. And the little dialogue went on, and then I about, probably about the same time we realized what was happening. And I heard the phone slam down on the table, and I heard him saying, no woman pastor is coming to this house. No woman's coming through this door to visit us. My heart sank. What could, I didn't, there was nothing that I could do to change myself. Today, some people do, however. There was nothing that I could do. I couldn't be kinder. I couldn't be more spiritual. The woman came on the phone and she said, I'm sorry, but my husband isn't feeling very well. And I said to myself, that's for sure. Sorry, that's my human nature. She said, my husband isn't feeling very well. Could you come another time? So I put a smile in my voice, even though my heart was sad. I put a smile in my voice. I said, I'm sorry, he's not feeling well. Certainly we'll schedule another time. The next morning, I was in the shower, and I like to remind people that shower is about therapy. In some of our households, people are concerned about all the hot water that we're using. Not my, not my husband, by the way, but that could be a possibility. So to me, a shower is about therapy, because it would cost you a lot more money to go and see a therapist when you're upset about something. So while I was in my therapy session in the shower, <laughs> God and I had this conversation, and he said to me, Esther, what do you do when somebody's sick? And it's like, well, of course, I go and visit them. So he said, that man is sick. 
the man I had the conversation with the day before. So I went to the, to the, it's a giant grocery store at the time, and I bought some flowers. And I went to my office, and I told the staff what I was going to do, and they said, you're crazy, because apparently they knew this family better than I did. But I felt I had to be obedient to God. So I showed up at the apartment building, and then to my joy, I found out it's an apartment where you have to the person has to know you're coming. There's no buzzer system, actually. The person had to know you were coming and open the door for you. And I, I, I was happy because they didn't know I was coming. How was I going to get into the apartment building? Because I didn't want to go. I was just going out of obedience to God. But I checked the door, and to my great dismay, the door had not latched shut. I had no excuse. I had to get into the building got into the building and I'm standing at the door and I'm really, um, it, it was either late morning or early afternoon, who's going to be home, right? With my luck, nobody would be home. But I knocked on the door and the man answered the door. I got so nervous, I spoke very quickly, I said something like this. Hi, I'm Esther Remarax, a pastor at Sligo Church, and I was supposed to visit you yesterday, but your wife said that you were sick, and so I bought these flowers. I wanted to just show you that we care. He looked at me like, what did you say? Just like you did. But, you know, it caught up. He understood what I said. He saw the flowers. He invited me to come in. His whole family was home. We had a wonderful spiritual conversation about what was going on in their lives, the things that they were struggling with. And when we prayed at the end, he was holding my hand on one side, his daughter on another, and the rest of his family. When we allow ourselves to follow what God wants us to do out of obedience, we have a chance to make people whole. That could be the end of the story, but two years later, or a year later, there was a, my telephone rang two times, and on the other end of the phone was a man who was really distressed. I talked to him, reflected back to him what he must be feeling because of what was happening in his family. And he started crying. And at the end of the conversation, he said, you know, I really needed a pastor to talk to. And so I called you. This was the same man from a year ago. When we choose the touch of trusting our sanctified instincts, God can begin to make people whole. The third word is time. If you travel a lot, you will run into delayed flights. This was a particularly delayed flight coming through Atlanta, and it was a three-hour delay. So there's a person who often picks me up. Um, she likes to be called my driver. And I called her to tell her I was going to have to take a taxi home because I'd be home too late. It'd be about 1 o'clock in the morning. And she said to me, in the midst of my distress, she said, Esther, it seems that whenever you have a flight delay, God uses you to be a blessing to somebody. And I said to myself, I don't want to be a blessing. I just want to get home. But... Um, because of my status with Delta, I have free access to the Sky Club, and I can take two people in with me. So what I'll sometimes do is I'll go to the gate area, and I'll see if there's anybody that I kind of am attracted to who I can engage in conversation, and I'll take them to the Sky Club with me. 
So I went to the Sky Club, I mean, to the gate. I looked around, you know, I tried to see if there was anybody I could have eye contact with, but everybody was on their cell phones. There was nobody that really I could, you know, I said hello to a few people, but nobody that I felt I could invite to the Sky Club. So I'm walking back to the Sky Club and I'm praying, God, if you want me to be a blessing, you better show me who right now, because I'm going to go into that Sky Club and pout. <laughs> so just before I got to the door of the Sky Club, there was a woman there, a pregnant lady. She had a toddler who was asleep. I heard her on the phone. She was clearly distressed. I could tell by the conversation. I waited until she finished her conversation. And I said, can I help you? Um, did you miss your connection? She said, no. When she was getting off the plane and they were unloading her stroller, it was broken. And so here it was. She had a sleeping toddler. She's pregnant. She had a diaper bag, a little suitcase. It was just really complicated for her. And she had a three-hour flight delay. So I said, I'm going into the Sky Club. Would you like to come with me? She said, really? Because she was not looking forward to just sitting out there for three hours. So I helped her carry her stuff. We went into the Sky Club. We made a little bed out of those nice soft chairs for her toddler. Later, the toddler woke up. He was very pleasant, little curly red hair, and he was making the people in the Sky Club happy because he was just such a sweet little boy. And she was able to get food. We got food for him. And I took some pictures and sent them to her by text message, which meant that I had her cell phone number. Six months later, so by the way, I was able to be a blessing, and I felt good. The three hours went by quickly because I had chosen to use my time to be a blessing to somebody else. Six months later, I was in the same Sky Club and remembered her. On that particular trip, she was going to visit her parents because her husband was out of town. He's a film producer, and they were on location doing some shooting. This time, however, um, when I contacted her, I said, hey, I'm remembering our Sky Club, and I'm thinking of you and wondering how the pregnancy went. And she texted back that she'd had a baby, a little girl that was born, and she sent me a picture. And she said, I was in Atlanta recently, too, to visit my parents, but this time it was because my dad had suddenly died. And so we were able to have a bit of a conversation about that. And share some, I was able to share some spiritual thoughts with her because she knew that I was a pastor and that I was a Christian. So that time of kindness in the Sky Club led to another conversation six months later when I was able to talk with her. You know, when we use wisely the touch of time, Jesus can begin to make people whole. My other T word is translate. This is word number four, translate. So translate what your eyes see on the surface to what's underneath. Translate what your eyes see on the surface to what is underneath. And I'm reminded of somebody who said, you never lock eyes with someone who does not matter to the Savior. You never lock eyes with someone who doesn't matter to the Savior. So at this particular gate, I saw a very unkempt teenager. But you know, when I see somebody that's really unkempt, I think of Doug Batchelor. <laughs> Do you remember his book about the caveman? And so sometimes when I see somebody like that, I say to myself, there's another Doug Batchelor. <laughs> but this unkempt teenager came and sat beside me because he wanted to plug in his phone. And I was curious because I 
was used to plugging in my phone with the prongs, but he was using the USB port. And so I asked him about that. He said, well, you can do the same thing with your phone. He showed me how I could unplug it and just have the USB. So he taught me something. But that was the basis for our conversation. And when I first saw this unkempt teenager, I thought, you know, how am I going to strike up a conversation with him? But because of talking about how to plug in our phones and charge them, I learned that he had problems at home. His mother had died, his father had remarried, and he didn't get along with his stepmom. In fact, it was so bad that he was sleeping in his car. He was a high school senior, not living at home, but sleeping in his car and then driving back and forth. But the axle on his car broke, and so it was now illegal for him to sleep in his car because it was a vehicle that couldn't be moved. And he posted a picture on Facebook about his broken axle. And his mother, remember his mom had died, but her sister saw the post on Facebook and invited him to come and live with her. She didn't know what had been going on. So this was him on this trip in Minneapolis. He was going through Minneapolis to go and live with his aunt. So I encouraged him to go to college, not to let this be a setback to him. And he said he'd already applied to college. So just affirmed what he was going to do with his life. And then I, I found out he hadn't eaten all day. So I gave him some money and said, hey, there's a subway just down a few gates. Why don't you go ahead and get yourself a sandwich? But you better hurry because our plane's going to leave soon. He said, oh, I'm not on this flight. My flight doesn't leave for a couple of hours. But God had placed him at my gate, maybe so I could learn about the USB ports, but also so, so that he could be blessed by somebody giving him money to get some food. I think very often God scans our congregation. He scans our place of work. He scans our town, and he says, I have this need. Who can I find to connect them with so this person could learn about my love? So I gave him the money so he could go, but I also gave him a glow track. And when he got the glow track, he said, oh, this reminds me of Sunday school. When I was in Sunday school, they gave us these little things that had stories about Jesus in there. And please notice, I gave him money first. I didn't just give him a glow track. I gave him money because that was a need that he really had. But he also had a spiritual need, and I was able to give him that glow track. And what was really beautiful to me is that as he went to go to the subway and I was going to board my plane, he gave me a hug. This man who, on the surface, I thought that we would have nothing in common, nothing to talk about, we were able to have this dialogue. So when we go deep with the touch of translating what we see on the surface, Jesus can begin to make people whole. My fifth word is transparent. This is where we share our own testimony or our own story. When I was 14, um, my sister and I were both teenagers. There were a lot of conflicts in our home because my sister didn't share the values of our family. So she left home. We would actually we use the word saying that she ran away from home. But this was a secret that my parents kept. My home with my parents used to be a place of great hospitality because people would come home to our house every Sabbath. We didn't always know who would be coming home, but we had prepared to invite people home. But we stopped having people home because when people come to your house, they ask you about your children. 
And my mom didn't want them to ask about my sister because she didn't know how to tell them about this hurt that she had in her life and what to do. But one day, the hospital chaplain's wife talked to my mom about her own daughter and the struggles that they were having with her. And it gave my mom the opportunity to open up her own heart because she felt she was not alone. So when we brave the touch of transparency, Jesus can begin to make people whole. Number six is actually the word touch. When Livy was younger, um, we went for a walk in our neighborhood and we saw a neighbor working in her garden. So we stopped to visit with her, especially because I remembered hearing that her son had recently died. He'd committed suicide. So she was working in her garden and I knelt down because she kept working, so I was gonna help her pull some weeds as well. And because I had knelt down beside her, Livy knelt down. Because often, you know, when you kneel to pray, others join you in praying. So later I learned that Livy thought I was going to pray with this woman, but I didn't pray with her. I just talked with her. And as we were on the way home, Livy said to me, Mom, Mommy, why didn't you pray with that lady? And I was embarrassed because the reason I didn't pray with her was because I didn't remember her name. And I didn't know how to say in the prayer, I didn't want to say, God bless my sister, like my sister in the church, or God bless my friend. I know it's a silly reason, but in my mind, I couldn't get around it. So Livy convicted me that I should have prayed with this woman. So I went back to her house and I said to her, I told her the story, and and now I knew her name. But I said, I'm sorry, I really wanted to pray with you, and my daughter asked why I hadn't. So I told her the story, and the woman said, but you did pray with me. And I said, no, I didn't. And she said, yes, you did, you did pray with me. Believe me, I wasn't gonna keep arguing with her when she was saying I prayed with her. But you know, what I realized is that when we take the time to listen to somebody's heart, When we, in a way, are an extension of the presence of God and we bring them into God's presence, it is as though we had prayed with them because God was there. So when we use appropriate touch, God can begin to make people whole. The seventh and the last T is the touch of truth. It was the summer of 1978, and I was in college here at Andrews University, but my summer job was gonna change the course of my life. I was called to work with the ACT team at Hinsdale. It stands for Adventist Collegiate Task Force. And what I ended up doing, it had absolutely nothing to do with the job description. When we were at the church, a friend and I found a shoebox that was filled with people who had requested Bible studies. And they were just sitting in the shoebox. Nobody had followed up with them. So we started systematically calling the people. And as a teenager, which I was at the time that I was in college, it it was really a poignant moment to me when I called one of the houses and the person had died. And I wondered, they had asked for the gospel, they wanted to study the Bible, had nobody followed up with them? That summer, I worked with five churches. I ended up preaching every Sabbath, and I gave my first Bible study. And when you give a Bible study to somebody and they find out the truth about Jesus, 
they now have an opportunity to respond to that love. And when you see that transformation in someone's life, it is addicting. And that's when I came back to Andrews and changed my minor to religion. The next summer, I worked with another set of evangel uh, with an evangelistic team in South Bend, Indiana. And again, people gave their lives to Jesus. And it's just, you, you, you want to do that all the time because you see how people's lives can be changed when they get to know what God is like. You know, as a Seventh-day Adventist Christian, the truths that we teach reveal the beautiful character of God. We know that God does not burn people in hell forever. We believe there's a hell, but we do not serve a monster God who will perform a miracle to keep people alive so that he can torture them. Every truth that we teach about God, whether it's his generosity, um, and that's why we give, or the fact that we have a Sabbath, 24 hours of sacred time. Um, some of you might remember when Dr. Nedley was here, and he asked, are there more Sabbath keepers or more Sunday keepers? Do you think there are more Sunday keepers than there are Sabbath keepers? Raise your hand if you think there's more Sunday keepers than Sabbath keepers. Yeah, we all, we all raised our hands that there was more Sunday keepers, but it was a trick question. Because people who go to church on Sunday don't keep Sunday. They go to church on Sunday. They don't keep 24 hours of sacred time. We have a gift from a God who has this beautiful character that says these 24 hours are sacred time. And really what a gift it is that God gave that to us. So for every truth that we have, um, it's about the beautiful character of God that has the ability to transform people's lives. During the summer when I was giving Bible studies, there was a woman I was studying with in South Bend and she said to me, can you give me more than just two lessons? The, the, the method that we were following is where you drop off two lessons and you come back and you go over it with them. And she said, when you leave, I have them done by the next day and I have to wait all week for you to come again. So we had rules about just dropping off two lessons, but in the weakness of the moment, I gave her four lessons. Then I went back to the car and I saw which four lessons I had given her. And I was really scared because the four lessons that I gave her all did with topics that dealt with topics that were different than the non-Protestant church that she belonged to. So I was really scared about the next week. But when I showed up at her house, she was so excited about the Bible studies that she had had. And I said, why do you accept these so easily? Because they're different than what you had grown up believing. She said, Esther, I never told you, but the day before you showed up at my house, I was seeking. And that night before you came, I had a dream. And in my dream, there was somebody that looked like you at my door. And so when you showed up asking me if I wanted to take Bible studies, because these were some cold calls, um, she, she said, I just knew that I needed to be open to whatever God had in his word for me. The biggest T of all we often see around Easter or other times, and that is the symbol of the cross. Jesus died demonstrating the biggest T in the world, that touch from heaven, so that you and I could be transformed and that we could be made whole. And as people can learn about that gift, they too can be made whole. So when we contagiously share the touch of truth, Jesus can begin to make people whole. 
Perhaps you are in need of Jesus's touch today. Not freedom from pain or sickness, however that might be what you need from him. Perhaps it's freedom from guilt, freedom from the shame that comes from guilt. It might be sadness or heartache. Jesus promised that someday there will be a world where there's no more pain or suffering or heartache or sadness or tears. But he wants that path to wholeness to begin now, not just when he comes. That journey of wholeness can indeed begin now. You know, Jesus was informed, the story tells us in the Gospel of Luke, he was informed that his mother and his brothers desired to see him. Jesus said, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and who do it. Those who practice to touch and live and change other people's lives. They are my brothers, they are my mother, they are my sisters. So who am I? Who are we? We are the hospital worker, the church member, the daughter, the son, the wife, the husband, the mother, the father, we are part of Jesus's family. He wants to use us to touch others so that they can be made whole, so that we can be made whole. God invites us, God invites us to offer an unhesitating Christian hand. He wants us to turn the ouches of the world into something beautiful because of our touch. So offer the unhesitating Christian hand and let God use us to make people whole.